Crafting a Rule of Life, Chapter 1. Roles. What are my primary relationships? Guiding Principle. Roles. Your personal rule of life is discerned and framed within the context of your primary relationships in your spiritual community and lived out in service to others. In his book, Sacred Companions, David Benner discusses five interrelated elements that appear in healthy spiritual friendships, love, honesty, intimacy, mutuality, offering reciprocal care, and accompaniment, taking an active interest in each other's journey. I would add another characteristic of healthy friendships, the willingness and desire to listen. With these characteristics in mind, if you were ranking your ability to develop and sustain healthy relationships on a scale of one being low and five being high, how would you fare? Why? If you choose, oh, if your closest friendship were answering this question for you, how do you think he or she would rank your ability to develop and sustain healthy friendships? Why? If confronted by someone you recently were in conflict with, what do you think that person would say about your ability to redeem and transform your relationships? Why? Think of your closest friend and also of someone you most recently had a conflict with. Write out the prayer, write out the prayer of your heart regarding the desire you have for the health of your primarily primary earthly relationships, beginning with strengthening the relationship you have with your best friend, as well as resolving a conflict you are having with another. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me show love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love, for it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. Biblical Reflection Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Psalm 51.10 When we consider the relationships that matter most to our development as individuals made in the image of God, it's vital that we consider them in terms of the roles we fulfill. Some of our relationships stand alone in a particular role. Some roles encompass multiple relationships. My role as father includes two relationships, with our son and with our daughter. My role as boss envelops many members of our ministry team. Others may co-mingle and cross over in various roles. For example, your boss might also be a friend. Your spouse might may be your business partner, your cousin might also serve on the same nonprofit board with you, or your pastor <coughs> your pastor may be your golf buddy. 
Sharing one or two roles is pretty normal, but when our relationships cross over into three or more roles, it can get pretty complicated. For example, when my boss is also my friend and becomes my confidant and counselor, it's tough to maintain appropriate boundaries. Confidentiality and objectivity, especially if something comes up at work that needs to be confronted. Or if your pastor slash golf partner invites you to serve on the board and you find yourself in disagreement with him, does the golf all of a sudden come to an end? How many roles and relationships can we handle well? Some would insist that it's impossible to sustain more than five to seven major roles and stay balanced and healthy. I am inclined to agree. One person in the Bible who had multiple roles, responsibilities, and relationships is King David, the greatest and most important king of Israel. The majority of his story is found in the books of First and Second Samuel, First Kings, and First Chronicles. From his early life into his death, David was involved in a variety of roles and relationships. Try, try adding them up and you'll be overwhelmed with what we know about David's life. It's no wonder he had an occasional fall from his pedestal of greatness. Within his family of origin, David was the eighth of his brothers and youngest son of Jesse of Bethlehem. In the early period of his life, David is mentioned as a man after God's own heart a title he maintained as he kept the divine commandments. See 1 Samuel thirteen fourteen. As a shepherd boy, he showed great courage in protecting the flock. See 1 Samuel seventeen thirty four through 36. As a youth, he was an outstanding athlete. See 1 Samuel seventeen thirty four through 36. David was a fine musician who played the harp before the king. See 1 Samuel 16, 14 through 23. He was a poet and a psalmist of the finest caliber, writing some of the great masterpieces of spiritual literature. No other poetry has been so consistently used in the church through the centuries as the many psalms of David. David was intimate friend to Jonathan. See 1 Samuel 20. King Saul's son, for whom he served as armor-bearer. He was a courageous champion of Israel and killed the great Goliath, which resulted in a great victory for God's people. See 1 Samuel 17, 25-53. This was just the beginning of his ability to lead military companions as a success. As a successful general, David was husband to several wives and concubines and father to many children, mostly sons and at least one daughter. Second Samuel five fourteen through sixteen, nine verse eleven and thirteen verses one through twenty nine. First Chronicles three one through nine and Second Chronicles eleven eighteen. David is also known for his ter turbulent adult life and his fallenness and depra depraved humanity as an adulterer. 
In his darkest hours as king, David's lust for Bathsheba led to the death of her husband, Uriah, and the eventual death of the child born to David in Bethsaida, 2 Samuel 11 through 12. David was a repentant sinner brought back into fellowship with the living God through the prophet Nathan. His prayer of Psalm 51 is an example for all generations. David was divinely chosen to succeed David or was David was divinely chosen to succeed King Saul and quietly anointed by the Samuel by the prophet Samuel in 1 Samuel 16 12 to 13 to serve as king over Israel. He was considered a genius and the greatest of all kings displayed displaying unusual military victories and enlargement of the kingdom. See 2 Samuel 8 and 10. Providing wisdom in the administration of government. See 2 Samuel 5 3. In the capturing of Jerusalem the city of David, and the establishment of the capital there, Second Samuel 5, 7. He anointed his son Solomon to serve as his successor, First Kings 1, 11 through 39 and 2, 1 through 9. He is the most famous ancestor of Christ. Jesus is not called son of Abraham or son of Jacob, but the Messiah. Messiah, son of David. King David was a complex man. His roles were many and varied. Some were overlapping and others were misused for unfortunate and destructive ends. Each had their own set of possibilities and tensions, and it's astounding to consider how effective this man of God was when his entire life is considered. His personal rule of life was indeed framed within the wealth of his myriad roles and relationships, essential for understanding the, li the life he was invited by God to fulfill. The elegant writing of Psalm 51 is in response to Nathan, the prophet's confrontation and rebuke of David's adultery with Bathsheba. As recorded in 2 Samuel 11 and 12, David fell hard to the lustful temptations of his heart through the bathing Bathsheba next door. He summoned her to his palace and they slept together, consummating a relationship that would be both immediately cursed and ultimately blessed. He, his subsequent sins of having Uriah the Hittite Bathsheba's husband killed on the front lines of battle, lying about and covering up his sin, continued to wreak havoc on his soul. By the time Nathan arrives on the scene, David is filled with guilt. Nathan begins by telling David a simple story of injustice. There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. 
Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. Second Samuel twelve one through four. After hearing the story, David is outraged. As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. Second Samuel twelve five. Nathan responds to David, "You are the man." Verse seven, and then proceeds to remind David of all that the Lord, the God of Israel, had done to raise David up to become king over Israel. Reminding David of his true personhood and identity in God was the linchpin to his own embracing that the identity as a man, a king, an honorable child of God. The brilliance of Psalm 51 is captured in David's willingness to finally come clean and admit his sinfulness and brokenness, his desperate need for God's grace, mercy, and forgiveness. Out of that place of freedom, he openly confesses his wrongdoings before God. The purity of his heart is brought to light, and his renewed sense of confidence is evident for all to see. As you and I consider our own roles and relationships, we do so out of our brokenness and our need for God's amazing grace in all of our interactions with others. David is a wonderful example for us to prayerfully consider as we begin to craft our rule of life around the many people we become in con- around the many people we come in contact with on a daily basis. Sit with Psalm 51 and receive these words as a reminder of how you too can pray about your life and relationships. May this psalm set you free to admit your brokenness, your longing for joyfulness, and your leanings towards restored faithfulness in your service to others throughout your sphere of influence. Number one. One of David's dearest friends was Jonathan. Read through the account of their friendship in First Samuel 18 through 20. Note that Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. And Jonathan made a covenant with David. See First Samuel 18, 1 through 4. And Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. But Jonathan was very fond of David and warned him, Be on your guard, go into hiding. 1 Samuel 19, 1-3 And we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord. 1 Samuel twenty forty two. What does it mean to make a covenant of love with our friends? What, what, who would you will, be willing to make such a covenant to? Number two. By far, one of David's greatest failures was lusting after Bathsheba which ended in adultery, 2 Samuel 11 through 12. While David's men were fighting the enemy, he was sleeping with the wife of one of his top commanders. As a result, his life was turned upside down. 
David sought to hide his son by calling Uriah home from the battlefield, think he, thinking he would return to the arms and bed of Bathsheba. But Uriah refused, so David had him killed on the front lines of battle. After being confronted by Nathan the prophet, David finally admitted of his sin. Read Psalm 51. As you reflect on this psalm, make it a prayer of your own. Jot down any relationships that possibly could be repaired if you sought forgiveness, mercy, and reconciliation. What is the Lord inviting you to consider in this regard? Number three. 1 Kings 2, 1-3 recounts. When the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon, his son. I am about to go the way of all the earth, he said. So be strong, show yourself a man, and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in his ways and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and requirements as written in the law of Moses, so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go. Consider one of your key roles in primary relationships. If given the opportunity, what words of blessings would you like to speak to that person? Jot down some ideas here and then prayerfully consider sharing them the next time you are together. You may want to repeat this exercise with other roles and relationships in mind. Historical Insight in the history of the church, we find many notables who fulfilled several key roles and maintained a variety of relationships throughout their lives. One such prominent Christian leader is C.S. Lewis, a man who seized numerous roles in life, including novelist, academic, literary critic, lay theologian, and apologist. He is most widely known for his liter literary prowess. He wrote more than 30 books. His most celebrated works are The Chronicles of Narnia, The Group Tape Letters, and Mere Christianity. He was far, by far one of the most intelligent and influential Christians, Christian writers of his day. However, many of his readers did not know his personal story in brief. His However, many of his readers did not know his personal story. In brief, Clive Staples Lewis, 1898-1963, was born in Belfast, Ireland. He was known early in his life as Jack, a nickname he gave to himself at the age of four after the beloved neighborhood dog, Jacksy, died. Lewis had one brother, Warren, and his mother, Florence, died of cancer when he was merely nine years old. Lewis studied at Campbell College in Belfast and then Melbourne College, where at the age of 15 became an atheist, abandoning his Christian upbringing in the Church of Ireland. He went on to study at Oxford, but took a hiatus from his studies after the outbreak of World War I when he enlisted in the British Army. 
During his time in the army, he became close friends with Patty Moore, who was killed in battle. While serving together, Lewis promised that he would take care of Patty's family if he died in battle. He was eventually discharged after he had after he was wounded in the Battle of Arras. Lewis then followed through on his promise to his friend Patty and looked after his mother and sister. Eventually, the three of them, along with Lewis's brother, Warren, moved to the Kilns, where they all lived together for several years. During Lewis's day teaching at Oxford, he went from being an atheist to a deeply committed Christian. He was converted to Christ in 1931. At that time, he, bega he became a member of the Church of England and developed a profound understanding of the Christian faith. He at attributes his coming back to Christianity to his friendship with J.R.R. Tolkien and the writings of G.K. Chesterton. His conversation had a profound effect on his work. His wartime BBC radio broadcast on the subject of Christianity, which would later comprise the contents of his mere Christianity, brought him wide acclaim. It was also during this season that Lewis became the central figure in the now famous literary group, The Inklings. This group of friends met twice weekly and included influential writers such as Tolkien, Hugo Dyson, Charles Williams, and Robert Harvard. At 58, Lewis married Joy David Men Greshman, an American writer who was 15 years his junior. Their marriage only lasted four years when Joy died of bone cancer in 1960. Lewis thereafter cared for her two sons, Douglas and David Gresham. Lewis was devoted to Joy, and his writings about her loss in A Grief Observed are, evidenced, are evidence of their profound love. He died three years later at his home, one week before his 65th birthday on November 22, 1963, the same day U.S. President John F. Kiff Kennedy was assassinated. C.S. Lewis's roles were many and varied. Influential and intellectual writer and theologian, deeply committed friend, war hero, son, brother, husband, stepfather, and spiritual father to many others. In addition to these more obvious roles, Lewis was a spiritual director. What's fascinating, however, is that his role as spiritual director was fulfilled primarily through the ministry of letter writing. He faithfully utilized the written medium, which made him so famous, in serving the spiritual needs of others. Father Walter Adams, both an Anglican parish minister and a mission priest with the Society of St. John the Evangelist, was Lewis's spiritual mentor, confessor, and father in Christ. Lewis met almost weekly with Adams more, far more, for more than a decade. Through this relationship, Lewis grew to love the scriptures, evangelism, a passion for holiness, 
an appreciation of the writings of the early church fathers and a deep desire to keep to really know the Lord Jesus Christ. May it be the may it be the real I who speaks in prayer and may it be the real thou that speak I speak to. Lewis wrote in letters to Malcolm. From the spiritual direction Lewis received from Adams, he obediently served others as their personal spiritual mentor. All through written letters, C.S. Lewis, in fact, became and still is a spiritual guide of such high caliber that it rivals his statue, stature as a Christian apologist. As Lewis's spiritual director would often remind him, look after the roots and the fruit will look after themselves. Lewis practiced this himself and helped many others as well. And this became from his commitment to the obedience required in following Christ. I can learn to love my neighbors as myself until I learn to love. Oh, I cannot learn to love my neighbors as myself until I learn to love God. And I cannot learn to love God except by learning to obey him. Lewis's ability to treat each letter writer with dignity, his unflagging skill at honest encouragement and affirmation, even when it must have been difficult plus his skill at identifying with his correspondence through admission of his own flaws, all conspired to make him an effective soul caregiver. Equally important, however, was his straight talk and tough love. There was no space in his letters for cheap grace. He insisted that discipleship is costly. Obedience is required. Forgiveness covers all who truly repent, and Bible truth needs to be confronted. Using Christ-centered words, Lewis's ministry of spiritual direction was profound. From this vantage point, he encouraged others towards peace, holiness, and eternal life. Lewis promoted as staples for a healthy spiritual diet, the disciplines of confession, repentance, prayer, and the Bible. C.S. Lewis was a man of many roles and relationships. He fulfilled his roles with integrity, depth, faithfulness, and serious resolve. His inspirational life is a model to study and learn from today. Personal rule of life. List all your key relationships, names, and the role you play in each. Father or mother, brother or sister, boss, colleague, friend, student. It's fine to list multiple roles next to more in-depth or complex relationships. Play number two. Place a qualitative number, one relatively unhealthy to five relatively healthy, next to each key relationship, including helpful and descriptive commentary. Who might need to hear from you 
a word of encouragement or affirmation of apology or of reconciliation. Number three, place a plus sign next to the roles that are most life-giving for you and a minus sign next to the roles that are most life-draining. Include helpful descriptive commentary. Also place a star next to the roles that, for whatever reason, require special attention at this time. What is God inviting you to consider for each of your primary roles today? Framing a personal rule of life begins with identifying your personal, your primary roles and their corresponding relationships. Questions one through three that I mis- just mentioned are a great way to begin this process. Be honest and transparent. You will not be graded or judged by what you write down. The best way to approach all of the formative questions throughout this book is to jot down the first ideas that come to mind. You, you will have time later on to distill into fine prose any of the exercises you complete in the process. This first set of questions is designed to help you frame your personal rule of life with a focus on roles and relationships. Remain attentive to any emotions that emerge as you write about the key persons in your life. Those that evoke joy as well as sadness, remorse, concern, or need. Don't assume that all roles and relationships are life-giving. Some may, in fact, be the opposite, and that's perfectly acceptable and very normal. Number four. From the list you have developed, identify your five and up to seven, if you must, most important roles in order of priority with key relationship names named in each. If you have more than five or seven roles, prioritize the remaining roles and determine if any of these can be eliminated or minimized for the sake of discovering better life balance. Be as specific as possible about each role, father, husband, and brother rather than family man. Five. Prayerfully consider how God might be inviting you to focus on your top roles and key relationships during this season of your life. Are there specific issues you need to attend to within your particular roles or relationships at this time? 6. Inquire of the Lord how best to tend to your own emotional health. Write down any specific ideas you wish to consider in prioritizing your emotional needs. Be honest about this and reflect on your current emotional health and how it's affecting the quality of your relationships and your participation therein. If you feel led to say no to others in order to tend to your own needs, be sure to approach this humbly and willingly. If you discover in this reflection that you are sad, depressed, angry, or anxious, consult the aid of a a professional counselor, pastor, or spiritual leader to attend to your current emotional needs. Take time now in questions four to six to begin working on this segment of your overarching personal rule of life statements. Don't expect to create a final draft the first time around. 
in this first section when we cover the larger life-defining topics and roles, gifts, desires, visions, and mission. You will be asked specific questions to reveal each major area under consideration. As you progress in developing your personal rule of life, you'll return to these foundational statements frequently, so their life-giving nature will not only be planted in your souls, but germ germinate, grow, and be pruned and blossomed forth to God's glory. Spiritual Community Number 1. In what way does the story of King David resonate with you? Why? Number two, in what way does the faithfulness of C.S. Lewis towards his primary role in relationships most encourage you? Why? Number three, as you read about both David and Lewis, what in their stories sparked within you a desire to, retoil your, to retool your roles and focus more on the key relationships in your life? Number four. What is the overall state of your personal relationships? Talk about a key relationship needing extra attention during this, during this season of life. What do you hope to focus on as a result of your individual reflections in this season? How many roles have you identified for yourself? Do you believe this is appropriate number to be carrying during the season of life? Which are most life-giving, and which require the most attention and why? Thank you, Lord, for the ways you fashion my life around relationships. Were it not for my family and my friends, I would find myself so alone in this world. As I continue to reflect on the quality of my relationships, help me identify ways I can continually be a positive contributor to the health and well-being of others. May the love, mercy, grace, and compassion of Jesus be my daily source of strength and hope. I long to be your ambassador of peace and reconciliation in my family, among my friendships, and in the various communities where you lead me to love and serve others. In your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and for your kingdom's sake. Amen.